Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Smart Talks by the Elizabeth Smart Foundation. I am Elizabeth Smart, and I'm here with my co-host, Mio Strong. And today we have someone super special, and so I'm going to let Mio introduce her today. Thanks, Elizabeth. Today, you guys, I'm so happy and proud to have Alima McFarland join us on Smart Talks today. Um, if you're unfamiliar with her, she is known as the Pineapple Princess, and she is a bad warrior woman. She's the reigning flyweight um, MMA champion at Bellator. But more important than that, she is a survivor, and she has... Um, created a scholarship and a retreat and all sorts of positive ways to give back to different communities that um, are near and dear to her heart. So we are honored to have you today, Alima. And if you don't mind, um, do you want to just start with just a quick brief overview of what just broke on your social media? Yes. Uh, so it's funny because you actually approached me a few weeks ago asking uh, if I wanted to do the podcast, which I'm like, yeah, that sounds awesome. And we had scheduled, I, I was like, well, I'm going to go to Hawaii for a week. So let's do it when I come back. And so we scheduled it for today. And literally two days ago, uh, a story broke about a lawsuit that I recently filed against my alma mater and my abuser. And so the timing was kind of nuts because prior to that, we actually were going to talk about just my scholarship and program and work that I do with survivors and women. But like, we were not going to talk about this at all because I never talked about it before, you know, so the timing was kind of crazy and it was almost like it was meant to be. But uh, yeah, I uh, filed a lawsuit for abuse that I suffered when I was 12 years old at the hands of a basketball coach. And there are three victims that are in this lawsuit. One of them is my older sister. And um, yeah, we, we, this has been a long time coming and it's just crazy how we blew the lid off of this thing because my alma mater is Punahou School which if you're familiar with, it's, a, it's one of the most prestigious schools in the entire nation, not just Hawaii. Barack Obama went to Punahou. And on top of that, my fam, my entire family went to Punahou. My dad was a teacher and a coach there. My dad and my sister are both Hall of Fame athletes. So we were a solid Punahou family. Uh, so it kind of, it, again, it like, it blew up and nobody was expecting it. And uh, it's be, it's become a lot bigger and deeper than we even imagined. So that was what happened two days ago. And here I am now. <laughs> well, I just have to say, you know, like huge, huge, huge respect for you for coming forward. I know you're such a public figure and, and so deeply embedded in that community. It takes a lot of courage. And I know you don't lack courage at all, but, I just, from survivor to survivor, like hearing your story, reading it, and knowing how you've turned it around is really inspiring to a lot, a lot of people. So thank you. And do you mind telling us a little bit about your awesome um, scholarships? Yeah, totally. So we, and you know, I never really thought that, um, 
I, I was drawn. I was, I've always been drawn to working with women and especially Native communities. And I really wasn't sure why until all of this stuff started happening. And I'm like, oh my gosh, it's because I'm a survivor too. You know, I, I and I even admitted uh, when the story broke that I was in denial this entire time because I am a professional fighter. I need to be strong. I've always been a very, very strong woman, very stubborn, hard-headed, you know, and I just have never wanted to be vulnerable or show any type of weakness. And I didn't want to give him especially the satisfaction of knowing that, you know, that he with me. Sorry, can I swear on this? Sure. Okay. Make <laughs> <Big> it edited. <laughs> I never wanted to give him the satisfaction of knowing how much he affected me because to this day, he still tried to contact me 15 years later. He, especially when I started, um, especially when I started fighting and I, you know, my, my MMA career started blowing up. Uh, that was when he really started reaching out to me. He like wanted to be a sponsor and it was just totally disgusting and sick. And so um, I never wanted to really tell anyone what happened because I didn't want to give him the attention. Um, you know, it's just like they say, don't feed the trolls. There's so many trolls, like you're not supposed to banter with them, you know? So um, I considered him a troll and I just, I was like, I'm just going to block him completely out. Um, so yeah, I was in denial this entire time. Uh, but yet I was, I was drawn to helping these communities who demographically or statistically face higher rates of violence. And that is our women nation and our indigenous nation. So again, statistically, Native women actually face the highest rates of violence out of any demographic. Um, and so, more of a question of when. I'm sorry? It's not so much a question of if it happens, it's more of a question of when it happens. Absolutely, yeah. And um, it wasn't until the Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women movement that I really started doing some research into this. I decided, uh, and this was actually in the midst of my, this was in the midst of my MMA career. I wanted to dedicate one of my fights to, uh, to the Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women Movement. Um, so anyway, I was, actually, I was actually in Panama on, on this retreat with a, with a Native Like Water, which is a nonprofit that's dedicated to uh, Indigenous knowledge and our Native youth. So I'm on a trip with them to Panama and we were visiting a tribe in the middle of the jungle. They're called the Embarakera. And my mentor and the founder of the nonprofit, he said, yeah, you know, I've always wanted the chief's daughter to attend one of our programs, but, you know, she doesn't have the money to. So I was like, well, how much would it cost to send her to San Diego or whatever? And he told me the cost. And I was like, okay, I'm going to make a commitment. If I win the belt, the Bellator belt, then I'm going to use my win bonus money to fly her out and attend the program. And it was really crazy because we don't have any service, cell phone service out in the jungle. But when we got back to the city, the next day, my phone starts ringing and it's my manager. And he calls me and he's like, hey, so you're fighting for the belt in November, uh, get ready. And it was kind of as if the stars had aligned. 
And so, yeah, I, um, I ended up winning and I called up my, I called up Mark and was like, all right, so let's do this. How do we do this? And he was the one that suggested, well, instead of just, you know, giving her money to fly her out, why don't we start a scholarship? So, you know, and, and see what happens. And so we did, and it, I was just expecting to give one scholarship away to a girl, but we ended up opening it up to the community and to, you know, public donations. And we were able to raise five scholarships. So that was our first year. And so our goal since then has been to keep adding a scholarship every year. So the year after that was six, this year has been seven. And it, um, yeah, it's just been awesome. I've had girls uh, from all over the world, actually. You know, we had a recipient from Jamaica. We had one from Panama. Uh, we've had one from, you know, Northern American tribes, uh, Central America, and Hawaii. We've had Native Hawaiian recipients. And so, um, yeah, after that happened, that was when I dedicated my next fight to the Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women movement. We all wore red. Um, I came out to a really highly um, politicized song that talked about, uh, you know, the over-sexualization of Native women in uh, popular media. And it was really, really powerful. So sorry, that was a really long explanation, but that was how everything was created. And um, after the third year of the scholarship, we actually decided to, well, why don't we create a program now, um, like an actual retreat just for women? And that was held this past February, and that was one of the best experiences ever. I actually didn't know I was going to be running it. I thought I was just going to be, you know, on the sidelines or as a participant, but I ended up being like running it. I'm like, oh my gosh, what am I doing? So my sisters, you know, um, I come from a family of educators, and so we all came together and we took the girls everywhere that you could imagine. It was amazing. And um, the Hawaiian community really came together to help me with this. Um, and it was perfect. And as much as it was called Nawahine Toa Women Warriors, and it was just helping them find their, their woman warrior within themselves. And it was amazing. So we're like, we got to do this twice a year or something. We got to do this more because it was such a success. That's amazing. What did you, what were like the activities or what were some of the things you taught and you learned and you, you know, experienced while you were all together? Absolutely. So every morning we would actually start off with some type of physical uh, activity. You know, you can't go to a retreat with a professional MMA fighter and not do anything. So, uh, so we started off with yoga. I would lead them through like a light yoga session uh, followed by some self-defense um because again these girls that were attending um fit the demographic of of having violence committed against them so i taught them really simple self-defense um moves and then after that we would go on an excursion so we went and visited the queen Emma summer palace which uh has all of these from hawaii's history um and so we did that we went to a bee a bee farm uh where we all got stung by bees and we were all became bee sisters and um and it was that was super cool learning about the sisterhood of the bees because they're all 
they're all women bees. They're all sisters and they all work together. So that was actually really cool. We visited um, Aloi, which is like a, a taro farm, and we're able to learn how to traditionally you know, pound, uh, pound the kalo for poi. We took them to the beaches, obviously. Um, they all got to do the sub squash, which is like this huge, gigantic surfboard. And that, they said that was the highlight of their trip. And then, um, cause they all stood up, there's like six girls standing up on one board. And for many of them, that was the first time they've ever seen the ocean. Um, we had girls coming from, from reservations, uh, out in the Midwest. So, it was really an awesome experience. And then we actually ended up flying to a different island to visit Mauna Kea, which um, if anybody's familiar with what's going on up there, it's a very, very big, powerful movement. What I consider the biggest uprising in modern day history for Hawaiians, but we are basically trying to protect our most sacred mountain, uh, Mauna Kea, from them building the world's largest telescope on top. So, uh, we've been blocking the access. We've been blocking the access road so that the construction vehicles can't go up. And it's been since August that people have been up there. So I took the girls up there, you know, because we're protecting the sacred. And uh, so the Antipua them, the leaders up there, um, all welcomed us and ceremony. We did our ceremony and then we all offered gifts to the elders there so it was really beautiful it was just it was such an awesome time well i i mean i had i didn't even know that was going on i mean it sounds amazing how like if people want to help sponsor or donate to your scholarship program is there a place that they can go and how much does it cost to send a girl through this through through what through this program through yeah yeah offering so it typically costs uh, $1,500 to $2,000, depending on which program they want to go to. You know, obviously it's going to cost more if a Hawaiian, native Hawaiian wants to fly up to Panama uh, across the other side of the world. So just, but that's typically the range. It's $1,500 to $2,000. Um, so uh, you can donate directly to it at nativelikewater.org. Um, and once you get to that, you can see uh, the programs, you can click on the Luminary Scholarship, they'll have the donate buttons. And in fact, just recently, um, I donated a, the monetary amount of a scholarship. I donated it to uh, women in the Philippines because they, you know, they're on lockdown also. But for many families in developing countries, Lockdown means no work and no work means literally no food. So a lot of them are actually facing starvation. So I donated um, the equivalent of $1,500 to women down there. And um, that's, that goes a very, very long way in the Philippines. Um, and especially the women down there are actually at uh, higher risk of not only contracting the virus, but also um, having violence perpetrated against them because the women are the ones that have to go to the grocery stores and the supermarkets. So obviously they're more out in public. Um, you know, people know that they're going to the grocery store, that means they have money. So they're more likely to get attacked. So um, that's why we really have to think about our sisters in, in those developing countries. And, and is that, I mean, is native like rain also um, 
I mean, can you donate to them to, to that cause as well? Or is that another organization that you donate through? Oh, so that, um, so that's still the Illuminate, it's still considered native, like, or I'm sorry, the Illuminator scholarship. Um, even though that scholarship went towards the Philippines, it's still all the same. Um, but Native Like Water also has other scholarships uh, for other reasons that you can donate to. So, for example, if you guys are familiar with the artist Nako, Nako Bear, there's a Nako Bear scholarship, um, you know, that goes to boys and girls. Um, just mine specifically is for just girls. So there, there's a lot of different programs that people can donate to depending, you know, on how they feel. Do you, like, do you know why Native women experience more trauma, more violence, more abuse um, than others? Is, do, you, do you have any reasons or suspicions or facts behind why that's so? Well, I definitely think, um, you know, obviously there's going to be intergenerational trauma. Um, so statistically, actually, 80% of violence against women are, are committed by somebody that they know. Um, so, you know, there is going to be interge intergenerational trauma on the reservations um, towards Native, our Native girls and women. However, um, a lot of the missing and murdered Indigenous women movement and the cases from that have actually been um, by people, outsiders, um, by white men, you know, by people outside of the reservation. Um, so I think it's a combination. It's definitely a combination of, um, it's definitely a combination of the police, the media, and just our natural perceptions of Native women. Since the, you know, the time of colonization, Native women have always been disposable in the colonizers' eyes. Um, and the, co the colonizers actually brought a patriarchal system to indigenous communities because many, many indigenous culture and communities uh, were actually run by a matriarch. You know, they very highly revered women. Um, and so it was definitely a Western frame of thought uh, to bring the patriarchy here. So since then, Native women have been disposable and that's carried over into modern day. Um, when a Native woman does go missing, the police would never follow up on it. Or you can see that the police did not really care about it, um, especially in the cases in North America and Canada and everything. Um, and then the media too would never pay any attention to it as, as well. So I think it's just definitely a combination of all these systemic problems um, and just that overarching belief uh, that we're disposable. And what, I mean, obviously getting the word out is really important because I think, I think you're right. I think, well, I think it's very true that we all want to insulate ourselves. We all, all want to protect ourselves and think, well, that could never happen to me. I live in a safe neighborhood. I live in a safe family and, um, you know, that would never happen to me. And then it does, but, um, what else can we do to help make this change? I mean, I think culturally um, across really the world, there needs to be a pretty massive shift taking when it comes to violence and abuse and sexual abuse towards women. Um, but especially in North America, 
how can we start to affect change? I mean, certainly like sounds like what you're doing is amazing. The scholarship that you've created and this program that you are working with, it sounds, it sounds incredible. Like I want to go to it, but to help you. Um, absolutely. So I actually start off my self-defense classes and seminars with, um, you know, the statistics that I had just said that 80% of violence against women and girls are perpetrated somebody that they know. So what is that telling us? Um, one that's telling us that a lot of times we are raising our little girls and our daughters to not have a voice unfortunately we're raising them to be submissive to be polite you know to be agreeable and um i think that has to change we have to be raising our children um to be able to tell somebody to fuck off and to not touch them like don't touch me sometimes that's all it takes to deter an attacker is just the fact that you do have a voice and that you will use it. So I think first and foremost, that's, we're going to have to change um, the way that we're raising our children. Um, secondly, you know, uh, obviously a lot of the violence and abuse is happening in romantic relationships. So that's telling us that we're not recognizing the red flags. Um, and I'm completely, I don't want to say guilty because you shouldn't feel guilty, but I, that has happened to me, you know, I, I, and you know, it also happens where you do recognize the red flags, but you go with it anyway. So um, that's telling me that we need to teach our girls how to have self-esteem and self-love and self-respect and to respect themselves enough where something happens if you know, your boyfriend um, raises their voice at you or calls your name or swears like you recognize that red flag and you won't stand for that um, so that it doesn't progress. Um, so, yeah, in the retreat, you know, it was it was really awesome because it was intergenerational. So we had um, girls from 15 years old uh, all the way up to, you know, mid 40s, uh, early 50s. And that was really awesome because everybody learned from everybody. And you would think that, you know, the older woman would, um, you know, have a lot to teach, which they did. But it was actually one of the 16-year-old girls who, in our last women's circle, she spoke. She was the quietest girl in the retreat. And she spoke, and it was seriously like a mic drop moment. All of us were, like, floored. Um, by the wisdom that she had and so it's a really beautiful thing I think to um, again have intergenerational uh, circles and spaces um, where was I going with that I think I totally don't know where I was going with that but I had a I had a point <laughs> no I think it goes right along the lines of you know Elizabeth and I have talked about like as you mentioned raising children in a different way but also modeling healthy relationship behavior for your children, right? That's definitely something that I focus on. Yes. Oh, so, so yeah, that, um, so from the retreat and from all of these women and their knowledge that they had, we all came to uh, a conclusion that uh, in order to have healthy 
a healthy household and a healthy family and healthy children, it's actually you need to have a healthy mother. And the way that you're going to do that is by having um, her having a healthy relationship with whoever she decides to, you know, is her partner or, you know, even, but again, there are single mothers out there too, but as long as she's healthy inside, um, physically, emotionally, spiritually, then the household will be, will be healthy. And we said that we cannot go and, you know, try to change the world, which is awesome and everything. Um, we, you know, we cannot go and protest for telescopes not be built or, you know, for, water pipelines um, to not be built or oil pipelines to not be built if we aren't taking care of ourselves first. Um, and so that was the, the overarching theme from the entire retreat that we need to fill our cups first before we fill others. And that's goes, all goes back to self-love. I think that's so beautiful. And I think that's absolutely correct. Um, you know, me and I, Mio and I, we've, we've interviewed, quite a few people now. And what I feel like it ends up coming back to is kind of what you just said. I mean, you really do need to take care of yourself so that you can be there for your sister, so that you can be there for your family, for you know, your children or your husband or, or whoever needs you. So you need to make sure that you're not just like continually pouring your cup out so it's empty. And, and especially then when, you know, someone comes to you in need and, and needs help and you have nothing left to give. I mean, I think you exactly nailed it on the head. You absolutely have to start with yourself. And I think that the information that you've shared about talking about, you know, changing the way we raise our kids and, and helping to not just be, you know, submissive and quiet, but, you know, speak up, value yourself, have some self-esteem, like realize that you have worth and that you deserve better. You know, you, sh you shouldn't be beaten. You shouldn't be, you know, sworn at or called names. You, you absolutely should not be raped or sexually abused in any manner. I mean, that is completely unacceptable on every level. I mean, I, I think some of the tips that you've given us just now are, are great and they're great for everyone. And I mean, I hope this episode gets gets watched a ton because they're really, really important. And um, I mean, I just like I just have to applaud you for for what you're doing and for how you are making such a big change for so many. So how many? So are you up to two retreats a year, or is that your goal that you're working towards? That's our goal that we're working towards. I mean, as as fantastic as it was, it was also very stressful, and I was seriously in bed for probably a week straight after the retreat was over, just decompressing. Uh, so yeah, it's definitely a lot of work, but uh, again, so worth it. And uh, yeah, we're gonna. I mean, it. And they also the the only crappy part about it is that it's all dependent on my fight schedule and uh my fight schedule is crazy especially with this whole pandemic happening like i really have no idea uh when i'm gonna fight next and so yeah it's um yeah we wanted to try to keep it around february-ish because that was when a lot of girls have spring break uh and it's also around valentine's day which we tried to purposely do so that we could be like love yourself like you don't need a guy you know um 
So we'll see, but I will definitely, definitely be blasting it on social media once we figure it out. I would love to have you ladies or any of your listeners join as well. Um, and the reason that we want to do it twice a year is because uh, it filled up crazy. So we want to give... Oh, sorry. Keep going. <laughs> uh, no, we want to give as many as many women um, the opportunity to attend as possible. And what is your uh, social media handle? So my social media handle is at Eliminator, which is my MMA cage name. Um, so it's I L I M A N A T O R, and that's on Twitter, Instagram. Facebook, but I'm mostly active on my Instagram. Good. So and it's nativelikewater.org for the other donations to the scholarship. Yeah. Well, okay. Alima, I just have to say, I've had like chicken skin the entire time listening to you. It's like you, I don't know, you get it. You get it. <laughs> and this is what Elizabeth and I, you know, with Smart Talks and the Smart Foundation, I mean, Smart Defense, I mean, it's all what we've been trying to push and I just love that we can all get together and all do this for the greater good. And it's like a sisterhood and it's growing. And I just, I feel so optimistic about like the future is female, like it's coming back. Like we're, we're, we're making waves and we're doing the things we need to do to create change for good. With people like you, I mean, we're just, yeah, it was it's women like you. <laughs> Wonderful time. Together. So sisterhood, we keep it going. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, thank you so, so much for talking about a little bit about your story and then the amazing work that you're doing. Like if there's anything that we can do to support you in the future or any way we can partner with you or help you, like, please let us know because we're all about women. Everyone at ESF is all about women. And uh, I just think, I think what you're doing is awesome. For everyone watching, I hope you feel like as pumped up and excited as I do now about what Elima's doing. Um, and, and remember those, those pointers that she gave. Remember that this, this, these are things that you can start in your own home. You know, think about how you raise your children. And not, I mean, not even just your daughters. That's kind of what first comes to your mind. But think about the kind of example you're setting for your sons. How are you teaching your sons to respect their sisters, to respect their friends, to respect the women around them? What are healthy relationships? What do they look like? I mean, are you modeling a healthy relationship? These are all things that we can do starting right now in our very own homes. And definitely, if you feel excited or inspired at all about what we've talked about today, make sure you follow Lima on, on social media to stay abreast of everything that she's doing, but also go check out nativelikewater.org and help support the scholarship program that Alima is um, offering to these women. And let's, let's help her grow it because as she said, um, as we've already said, you know, native women, they face, they are the largest group of women that face the highest chance of abuse. It's really not a question of if it happens. It really is a question of when it happens and how often it happens. And that, that should not be the statistic for anyone. Doesn't matter where, where they live, where they're from, hair color, skin color, none of that should matter. Um, 
this is completely unacceptable and we need to change that. So make sure you support the pineapple princess. <laughs> Thank you again Thank so you. much. Awesome. And everyone again next time on our next episode of Smart Talks. See you soon. Bye-bye. <laughs>